friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Uh, I'm also videoing this, and so if you want to jump on YouTube and watch the video, I think you would really benefit from it because I'm doing something really special in this podcast. Uh, I'm interviewing uh, my do- our daughter, uh, Tristan Thomas. I did an interview with her a couple of weeks ago, maybe three, and it was so wildly popular. I got jealous, but ultimately I repented of my sin, and I was very <laughs> thankful that people were very interested in what you had to say, and I'm going to link uh, that particular podcast to this episode that people, so people can listen to it. In fact, I just shared with you today that someone on Facebook had just listen to it and they wrote a kind note it's always good to when folks actually stop and take the time and and express gratitude and i shared that uh, with tristan and our team earlier this morning but she wrote an article and you can find her what's the, what's your website tristansinclair.com tristansinclair.com she knocked off the thomas because hopefully you'll be married and you won't have to change your <laughs> change your url is, was that what you were doing there? Among other reasons. <laughs> okay. So you can find her at tristansinclair.com. <clears throat> uh, That's S-Y-N-C-L-A-I-R. I-R. I named you, actually. She was named after Sinclair Ferguson. But I, I think I changed the spelling. But we don't ever use Sinclair, so I forgot how to spell it. That was embarrassing. All right. Nevertheless, <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, she wrote an article saying make sure your future relationship doesn't look like this and then she put my picture out beside of it so that you can get an accurate understanding of what she's talking about i did not i am only kidding (laughs) but the article was so good and so i sent her a note and uh, she works upstairs and i said hey uh, let's do an interview are you okay with that she says she was and so i have some questions because actually i mean i would say that I don't know, 90% of what we do is tied to relationships, whether it's parents and children or marriage or people going into marriage. Uh, We are made in the image of God. We're built for community. We're supposed to be in community, doing community with one another. And of course, because of fallenness, community gets complicated and probably no other place where it gets as complicated is when two people are getting ready, starting to date, start dating, become married, and then, of course, you there's no escape plan until death. And, and that's where if you don't have a good understanding of relationships, uh, you can really start off on the wrong foot. And so Tristan is 20 years old, and she's put some time thinking about this, and I thought what you had written was so well it's really now this not just applies for those that are thinking about dating relationships but it also applies for those of you who are married you can really think through and and get some constructive information uh, from this podcast all right so tristan uh the easy question i suppose uh, the first one is why did you write this article it's coming off of a lot of observation of coming, I have I haven't been in a relationship myself, and so growing, being in twenty years so far, just natural instinct is I want to learn and be like, okay, where do relationships go wrong? Because you just, especially coming out of fifteen years of being in the academic school, in the academic world, in school, 
in school and watching people who are like dating one week and not the next or dating for a long time and then they the relationship ends and you're just like what happened what went wrong and so just out of curiosity but then also wanting to learn myself and figure out okay what what was good what was bad what went wrong and then other and then sometimes learn, learning off of the good examples learning off of the bad examples and finding patterns and recognizing consistencies and inconsistencies and then taking that from what scripture says about relationships taking that about what I'm learning theologically recognizing those patterns and so I put together everything that I've observed and I've learned in the last 20 years of my life into this article to speak to this issue of predominantly my my audience is predominantly young women but this applies to young men as well Mm -hmm. and people who are married too to be like okay hey when you're looking to be in a relationship, when you're in a relationship, it's really, really hard to have a third person perspective and to look at your relationship from versus being stuck in the middle of it, to have an outside perspective and to see clearly what's going on. And so I wrote this article to help those who are in a relationship to get that third person's perspective so that you can kind of look at it from a different angle and be like, okay, this is what it looks like. I recognize this. I guess the epicenter for observing relationships is high school. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Lots of drama in high school. Uh, but let me also say, because I mean, I know you, and uh, we do want to make a distinction as we observe people that we can observe people cynically, critically, cond- in a condescending way. That's not what you're talking about at all. Uh, you know, Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. The implication is he wants you to look at him, observe his life. And so observing people is a good thing, but we want to do it with a charitable spirit, not a self-righteous attitude. And I know that you do that, uh, that you are very charitable, uh, not a self-righteous person. And so, as you said, you're trying to learn its discernment. Uh, and, and we do, we don't, we do want to learn. We want to see the good and bad of what's going on in our world and also learn from our own, our own mistakes and, and the things where where we are appropriating God's grace and, and we are maturing. And so as you have made out a, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way, of things to think about in a relationship. It would probably turn into a couple of books, I would imagine. But one of the things that you put is that when you see a person who is overprotective in the relationship, that that is definitely a red flag. You want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So this is particularly looking at when there is a couple, a guy and a girl, and somebody comes up to this couple in this particular example, and the other person, so one person comes up to talk to one person in the couple, and the other person in the couple can't handle it. The guy or the girl, they're just possessive. They're very Mm -hmm. jealous. They cannot handle the fact that somebody else, that their person is giving attention to somebody else. And this is a huge issue because the ultimate purpose of relationships is not about turning into the other person. It's about the community around you. It's about being a testimony to the community around you. Relationships to the height of it is supposed to be a mirror image and reflection of Christ's love for the church. And so when you're taking that and you're being, when you're, you're cutting that off, essentially, when someone is being overprotective. And so there's this whole thing about like, you can live without a spouse. Like Jesus was never married. You don't have to get married. Many, most people are called to that, but not everybody is. And so while you can live without a spouse, you absolutely need friends. It's it's about that community. You need to be in a, in relationships with other people for you to fully export what you are gaining in your relationship with Christ. And so when you're being overprotective and jealous, you're just cutting off all those other forms of community. And overprotectiveness is a a symptom, and and you're talking about it here. If you see overprotectiveness, 
And then you get under the surface of that, as you said, now you're talking about jealousy as one of the things that's going on. Insecurity, uh, a good synonym for insecurity is fear. And so the person is afraid, afraid of losing uh, this relationship. And so they can start smothering it, uh, use the word clingy. And so those are symptoms that speak to a deep, deeper problem. And that gets into the motive what is the motivation for this relationship? Is it to fill my love cup? Uh, the person that you're describing, this fictional person you're describing, uh, through your observations, uh, is an insecure person who is using the other individual to fill their love cup. And so you talked about the other-centered nature of, of dating and, and marriage, both of those. In a dating relationship, it's other-centered. Of course, you want to take that into the marriage relationship. And so as you were thinking about that, I mean, it's an important point, but would you explain why our motive has to be outward, not inward, in addition to what you said about if it's inward, you know, we're going to do such things as being overprotective and jealous? Yeah, it's because a romantic relationship is not supposed to be turning in and focusing on the other. It's supposed to be outward and reflecting the love of Christ for his church. And the love that Christ has for his church is not an inward, inward looking, inward, selfish kind of love. It is an outward testimony. It's this whole thing that me and my best friends laugh about of like, you're together, but you're not like together. You are working together and you, the two of you are pursuing a goal. You are outside, you're in the community, and you're being an outward testimony. And, and you can feel this a lot with especially being in, in high school and college when, when a couple has that inward relationship looking, you just, people don't really want to be around them because it's like, okay, well, why would I why would I want to be with them with their other person? Because they're not loving me. They're not paying attention to me. It just feels like cold. And that is not the kind of feeling that you want to have with a couple. And so when a couple gets together and the community is excited about it, when they are exalting it, when they're like, finally, I love this. They're perfect for each other. That is a really good sign that the couple is a good fit for each other because the community is for it. But if the couple is not enjoyed and wanted to is not that when other people don't enjoy being around the couple because they're focused on the other, that's not loving the other people around you. And so you want to be with the person, yes, if that happens to be the case in the public setting, but you don't want to be constantly looking at them. You want to be using them as not not using them, but you're going to be together with them looking out at other people and loving other people. Yeah, we can do that. Well, like Christ, I was thinking about Christ, as you mentioned, he was not married, uh, but he had such an other-centered world view that he wasn't turned inward the, the inward person if they have no relationships it's the same thing i mean they've they, they've turned inward they're isolating and so there's no exportation of the gospel and so when you add someone to your relationship like a dating partner hopefully that turns into marriage the idea is is that they both have that same worldview that they're not going to turn inward and isolate they're going to continue to do what they have been doing individually but i want somebody to complete me now what's wrong with that statement because i've i've heard that uh finding myself and having my soulmate and there's some good in that but there's also some perversion and you talked about that in your article 
Yeah, so the good side of it is as 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26 talks about, you do want somebody who compliments you. You know, the eye needs an ear, the foot needs a hand, that type of thing. You do want somebody who compliments you, but they do not complete you. And this is something that I will be capitalizing till my grave because it's just, you see this so predominantly in culture of talking about wanting somebody who's just going to fit you like a puzzle piece, fit you so perfectly that you're not going to have to you know, deal with conflict resolution. And that, mm, there's so much about that that's not good at all. So it's not, you do not want to have a 50 plus 50 kind of relationship because I'm not, I can't math, but 100 plus 100 is a lot more powerful than 50 plus 50. And so when you're looking for another partner, you're not looking for somebody who completes you, but who makes you stronger, where like you're both two separate, beautifully functioning gears. And when you come together, you click in a way that you are so much more powerful together than you could be apart. Did you say you can't math? It's a, Is that an actual? It's a slang term that's just informal and it's funny to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I cannot do arithmetic very well. Oh, I understood that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So when your your mother and I got married, uh, we actually wrote out a mission statement, and that what you just said was the core of our mission statement. That we our reason for getting married is that we believe that we can accomplish more for God in this world than being single. And so it wasn't an inward perspective, but it's how we could maximize. Um, our, our lives together as, as one flesh. So, all right, so uh, this idea of completing yourself, uh, it does bleed into this insecurity as you're looking for someone to uh, make you whole. Uh, so th- you also talked about this sequencing of how not to fall into that trap, uh, how to not to be that needy person, and it's about the way you prioritize relationships Uh, in your article. So give me the priority and why have you chosen that priority? Yeah. So like you said, the being looking for somebody to complete you goes exactly back to insecurity. And this can be specific. Really what's happening is like the person, the guy or the girl is seeing something about the person they're interested in that they like, that they want to be like. And that is not the way that that should work. It should not be, I'm going to pursue them because there's something that I want to be. It should be a complimenting thing where you are a whole complete individual person and the other person is a whole complete individual person. But when you come together, it's just fireworks happen and you're so much more powerful together. And so really before before you should ever go into looking to seriously be getting in a relationship, you need to be a hundred percent your own person to have your own identity and that that's really what it is is when you're when you're being looking for somebody to have your other half a lot of times people cannot have an identity separate from that other person you need to have your own identity so first of all with this process is you need to find god because god is the essence of love he is the epitome of love you are not going to be able to fully truly love somebody else if you do not know love himself so you have to find god before you can ever fully truly accurately most to the best of your ability, cherish someone. Once you are on, of course, we're never going to have a perfect relationship with God, but once your heart desire is pursuing Christ, then you need to become one with your identity and figure out how your relationship with Christ ripples out into all the other areas of your life. How that, you know, when your work, it 
in your hobbies and who you are as a person in your family. Find yourself as it pertains to who God is. Like who does God say he is and what does that say about you? And then once you are one with God and you have made your own personal individual identity, then you can look out and say, okay, what would be, who is someone who would compliment me in a way that will allow me to better be who I am as a God-fearing person so that I can better portray the love that I have gained from Christ? Yeah, it reminds me of what David said in Psalm 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, then he just rolls into this five-verse bragathon from that point forward where he talks about how good, great, wonderful God is. I, uh, he shall lead me by still waters uh he restores my soul, etc. But at one point he says, my cup runs over. And so the person who has been affected by Christ is a full person. Now he's complete. His identity is in Christ. And at that point, you do have that ripple effect to where you're rolling over, you're spilling over. And so now your future partner is affected by that. And of course, if they're doing that, well, now we're really gushing. <laughs> We're a raging river in in every good kind of way. I'm talking to uh, Tristan Thomas. Uh, She is our our oldest daughter, and she wrote an article that says, Make sure your relationship doesn't look like this. And then she lists several things in this article. Uh, You can go to episode 393, and you can look at the show notes. You can see the questions that I am asking her. And then you can also get the link to that article and go out and read it at her website. TristanSinclair.com. Tristan, how long should you date before you take the plunge into marriage? Mm, This is a hot topic. So there have been exceptional cases where a couple met on Monday and they were married on Friday and they've been married for 60 years. Mm -hmm. You see that you know, on the internet here and there, which is very cool. And as Abraham Lincoln said, what did Abraham Lincoln say about the internet? Oh, that the internet never lies. Yes. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, go. (laughs) So While that caveat, there have been exceptional cases, that is not a blanket statement and you should just not be like, I've met the one, we're getting married. Now, okay, so the honeymoon phase, also known as the phase of, you know, affection, lasts for at least a year. It does? <laughs> uh, your mama's not going to watch this video. Well, you you all were dating for three years, which is where I, where I originally got my answer was three years because that's how long <laughs> you and mom dated. And I was like, that's good. But then as I observed other couples and then Uh did my own research and learned and grew it's actually a legitimate thing you trimmed that down where you've known somebody for a year it's the honeymoon phase the phase of affection which means within that year you've just met the person and you're just getting to know them just getting used to them and so you have a hard time directly correctly evaluating them and again going back to you know you don't want to be judging but but looking at them in a holistic picture because within that first year everything give or take could seem great about them and you have a really hard time identifying and looking at their sin pattern their sin nature and so that's why you should really be dating someone for two to four years before you make any set in stone commitments and do you want me to go through like the three reasons that I think? Uh, we'll get to those but uh you're right the the data is all over the place and there will always be that person that says, you know, we we met on Monday, Monday got married on Tuesday, et cetera. Uh, and there, there just has to be wisdom uh, in, involved there. You also don't make decisions in a vacuum as in isolated from other input. 
uh, having uh, talking to other people, people who have the courage, they won't rubber stamp you, they're not afraid to speak the truth, but they would speak the truth in a loving way, and they would share their observations about the person that you're interested in, and also share their observations about you. For example, if if you were talking to one of those clingy, uh, overprotective kind of persons, uh, jealous persons, hopefully they would have somebody in their life that would like say, you know, this is what I observe about you. Uh, but I know that's also a rarity as well. Uh, I do like the rule of thumb or of at least 12 months. It, it takes 12 months to get in a good fight. You need to get in a, a couple of good fights under your belt to see how you respond, to see them in different contexts. As you know, you've heard me talk enough that I call dating the artificial season where two people fake themselves out until they get married. I mean, at, at one level, there's no way that you can completely know the other person because dating is a, is a reboot every day. Uh, where you let the person, you separate, you know, for 12 hours or whatever. And, and so it's always uh, Groundhog Day. And, and so with that reboot, you're not in a 24-7 context. And so that's the nature of dating. And that's why wisdom would say, as a rule of thumb, there's no way you can canonize this and say that, you know, 12 months is the time and, and whatever. And we dated for three years. And there's reasons for that. Maybe we can talk at another time, uh, but that's what worked for us, and it was right for us, but that's not necessarily right for everyone, but time is essential. Now, you talked about characteristics. Is this what you were talking about? Because you, No, I was talking about three reasons why you want to let some time pass. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so the first one, as I mentioned, is you want two to four years to pass, or minimum, minimum 12 months. In in base in a generalization, so that you can see their sin patterns, like it, it takes some time. You cannot like if you just wait a couple weeks, a couple months, you're only going to see episodes. You need to know the person long enough that you can identify patterns, and yeah. this is ultimately so you can recognize their sin patterns. As Paul said, no relationship is without worldly trouble. And so, really, if you're looking for the right person, which that's another topic, but if you're when you're looking for a partner, you need to be looking at how does their problem solving complement yours, mm-hmm. because it's just going to be problem solving galore for the next 60 years so you want to be able to okay you know not not galore but (laughs) there's going to be problems that need to be solved and so you want to be able to recognize your sin patterns and that's not going to happen until you have some time passed you also want time to pass so that their actions can back up their words somebody might verbally confirm the embodiment of everything that you want in a spouse but you need to make sure that you just don't take them at your word especially if you're somebody like me who has a tendency to take people at their word you want to make sure that you have time again and again and again for their actions to back up their words like uh, and then pay attention to their reputation. How do they treat your, their parents? How do their siblings feel about them? L- look at what the community says about them and don't just blind yourself with what you're seeing directly in front of you. And then the, the biggest one with the time passing is you want to be able to see them as mul- in multiple contexts, as you said. You want to go through seasons together. You want to make sure you've seen them in every situation with every emotion, like high stress and peace, joy and sorrow, at church, at school, at home, at a restaurant, at a park. And this is because somebody may seem perfectly confident when they are at school or when they are at church, but then if you get them in another context, they're going to be totally out of their comfort zone. So you want to be able to see them as a holistic person and not just one side of them. It kind of reminds me of the Biltmore House. We had an annual pass, and so we saw the Biltmore House in the springtime. We saw it in the summer. We saw it in the fall, and we saw it at Christmas, and it really looked different at Christmas, didn't it? Yeah, so you want to make sure you see your person at Christmas. (laughs) 
the Biltmore House is a is a mansion in Asheville, North Carolina. But nevertheless, it, it, those different seasons. And you're right. You want to see. I like that you said seasons mm-hmm. uh, in a person's life. That is true. But then that also speaks to that timeline again. You talked about maturity, and you said there were three characteristics of maturity that you want to see in the dating partner. Is that different from the three things you just said? There's a lot of. This is like a diamond. There's a lot of different facets you can look at it from a lot of different angles. But yeah, maturity is one of them. So basically three, there's there's multiple ways you could look at maturity and there's this is a whole thing in, a, in, a, in and of itself that could be a different topic from multiple different angles. But at least three that to kind of give you a guide to help you look at long as you are a very kindly, objectively evaluating a person at, that you are looking to spend the rest of your life with. Um, one way to define maturity is your ability to focus at uh, ability to focus on the task at hand, and this is coming specifically from my college experience where we had chapel services, and our president talked about you know if you are on your phone throughout chapel, that's just you're just publicly saying that you're an immature person because you cannot <laughs> step back and focus at the task on hand. He Sorry. was kinder in that, but that's essentially what he was saying. I have not looked at the phone the whole time of this interview. Exactly, we're just using it for a timer. <laughs> And so one way to define maturity is your ability to step back and look at what is going on around you to be like, okay, this might not be where I want to be right now, but because it's where I'm going to be, I'm going to be respectful of what's going on around me. And this is where the last podcast we did about social media, where we talked about being on your phone really comes into play. That's one way to define maturity. Another way is assuming responsibility. This can be, uh, you know, recognizing when something is or is not appropriate, when some when mistakes happen, whether the person owns up to their mistakes rather than just pushing it under the rug. And then third, as we talked about problem solving, because relationships are about problem solving, that's going to be the primary thing that you're going to be handling together since inevitable problems will occur. Maturity will sit down and say, let's fix this instead of being a child and ignoring you. I do like that. That. I liked all three of those, but that first one about paying attention, I mean, that's having peripheral vision, uh, being aware of your context, but that's also, if you're other-centered, then you have peripheral vision about your partner and you're observing them and not so self-focused. There's a lot there. I guess you're right. You said there was a lot there, didn't you? Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) All right, so talk about relationships and and flaws, Uh, why you connected the word flaws with the word redemptive and like redemptive opportunities. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so really I love the analogy of marriage being two very rough, jagged rocks that you put into a rock tumbler. And it's really loud and noisy and painful for rocks to go through a rock tumbler. But in that bumping and nudging, your spouse becomes a spiritual irritant that helps to grow you to become a better person. And so that's where the whole thing, like I heard it all the time growing up, like marriage is not meant to make you happy, it's meant to make you holy. And that's such like a Christianese thing to say that you just hear all the time that you just brush it off. But as I've grown and made all these observations that I'm laying out here in these, this article, it's like, oh wow, like that's that's really true. Like it's not about me, it's not about what I can gain, it's about marriage is a lifelong commitment of saying you first. And so really with the flaws, you're not, marriage is not about loving a perfect person. It's about like Christ, learning how to love an imperfect person perfectly. And it's that love, which will in the end round you off and make you a better person. All right. So you talk about two permissible fights that, uh, you have in your home that are unresolvable. I think that's just incredible wisdom. Where, where did you, what are the two permissible fights that you should 
always have in your home and where did you get such a notion got this from this great man who's you know sitting across from me now is wisdom full of wisdom <laughs> full, full of something yes <laughs> um you, you have told me me and my siblings always growing up that there are only two arguments that you're allowed to have one of them is i am the biggest sinner in the room no you're not i am the biggest sinner in the room and you cannot change my mind and then the second one is let me serve you um, and this is going to how you and the other person that you're in a relationship, as we talked about in the beginning, you're supposed to be outward looking. The two of you are supposed to complement each other in a way that makes you stronger so that you can be in a competition to outserve the other. And this is not the two of you trying to outserve a third person. This is the two of you trying other. to outserve each other. Yes, what Paul's, and I, I took 1218 and just paraphrased it. He said in, in Romans 1218, uh, out outdo one another in showing honor and it's outdoing one another in serving and you, you've heard me tell the story that lucia and i got in an argument years ago y'all were little and i said i have this problem i'm the biggest center in the room she said no i am then you said no i am hayden said i'll pass <laughs> when it came his turn to speak and then anza who was about a foot and a half tall and she said daddy i'm the littlest center in this house but anyway, uh, yes, those are two unresolvable ongoing conflicts that you should have, uh, and they are. Because if you think that the other person is a bigger sinner than you are, then you're going to look down on that person. I was just sharing with someone on the forum today that they're struggling with all kinds of issues, and they were embarrassed and felt shame in talking about it. And one of the things I said to her is that, you know, I put Christ on the tree, and so from my view, through my glasses, from my chair, uh, I'm the biggest sinner. And that just puts you in a position of what Paul said in uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, that he's the chief of sinners. All right, we got just about 30 seconds, so give me your fast three final tips, Tristan Thomas. Don't blind yourself. Seek counsel. Have tough conversations. You actually did that. Wow, you're as long-winded as I am, and so I'm really impressed. You went total haiku, haiku there. All right, episode 393, I want you to read her article and make sure your future relationship doesn't look like this. I'll put a link here in the show notes. Tristan, thank you so much, and I'm going to let you take it away right now. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.